1: you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host.
2: Hello, I'm Ian Parkinson. Thanks for listening to the Ruler podcast. On this edition, we have some of the fastest women on two wheels and a new name in pro cycling photography. Plus the chance to win a Ruler T-shirt in the podcast quiz. First off. Two Olympic gold medals, five world championship titles, European and Commonwealth champion, and now author. Jo Roussel-Shan's book, Full Circle, is published this month, reflecting on her career as one of the most successful graduates of Team GB's so-called medal factory.
3: I retired in March this year after basically six months of deliberation after Rio, thinking, shall I go for Tokyo or not? So yeah, and after retirement in March, and started writing the book... End of March, spent about six months on that. Finally went to print, end of September, early October, and yeah, now it's out on the shelves. So it's all a bit scary. It was quite a nice process going through the writing process to reflect on my career. But yeah, now it's out, i think I hope people like it, because it's sort of letting everybody into your world, isn't it? But um, so far, I seem to have had some good reviews, so that's good.
2: I was going to ask about the process, because presumably, you know, you haven't had the chance to sit down and think about what's been happening for the past few years because you've been so busy with your uh, cycling career Uh, was it a good process was it was it sort of did it feel good to sit down and think again
3: it was it was almost sort of therapeutic in some ways so five years ago after the London Olympics I was actually asked to write a book then I turned it down given that I was only 23 years old I thought that's probably a little bit early for an autobiography I mean some might say 28 is too early as well but at the time I thought 23 that's not really the time but I did do some writing back then which I just saved on my computer that i I sort of wrote about that year and some of the things that happened that year so that was useful because there are lots of stuff when i went back and read that that i forgot that i've forgotten about so that that actually helped me a lot in the writing process but in general yeah quite therapeutic just sit at the computer type away it it gave me something to do as well so when you're when you're an athlete when you're a full-time cyclist your rest and recovery is so important so you do all your training And then once you stop training, you're still sort of working in a sense because you're still trying to rest. But now suddenly when I wasn't training, when I did have free time, I was like, what am I doing now? What am I doing in my life? What am I working towards? So being able to have the book to write, there was always something to do, whether it was choosing photos to go in or changing captions or, or, you know, editing chapters. There was always a a little bit of something to do at a different time. So it was nice to have an ongoing project as like a sort of a target basically to work towards.
2: So what happens now then? Now you've got the book out of the way, what
3: are you going to do with your retirement? Oh, lots of different things. I started a degree in physiology at Manchester Met Uni about six weeks ago now. So I'm now officially a full-time student, but luckily my tante was only over three days, so it gives me lots of free time around that for other bits and bobs. There is obviously all the coursework and everything as well, but yeah, enjoying sort of being back in education. Also doing quite a bit of work sort of freelancing the media, whether it's punditry or co-commentating for cycling events. It's quite a passion of mine to hopefully see more women cycling on TV because I think it deserves it. I think there's far too many people that say, oh, women's sport's got, got a long way to go in terms of development. And I'm like, no, it doesn't. It's, it's a very developed sport. It's very highly competitive with some brilliant athletes. You're just not showing it on TV. So I'm quite keen to sort of increase, you know, visibility of women's cycling in that sense because I think it deserves it. As well as lots of other things. So I'm doing a bit with the charity Alopecia UK, which I never really had time for before. I'm also on the BOA Athletes Commission, but really enjoying, in general, just being able to say yes to things. Because as an athlete, it was always a no. It was no, I'm training, no, I'm away in a training camp, no, I'm at a race. Also, as a track rider, as an endurance track rider, you never really get an off-season because you do track all winter. You have the track wheels, then you go off and race on the road over the summer. So you never get that sort of really good off-season a pure road rider gets. So enjoying being able to say yes, whether it's a birthday or a christening or a wedding or whatever it is, been able to say yes to things finally
2: do you miss any of the training the discipline the the early starts at the velodrome all that
3: don't miss any of that I do miss some of the people so I don't miss that the sort of the the discipline and regime of training and but I do enjoy still running my bike just for fun which I've never really done before it was never a hobby for me from day one it was a job so I'm enjoying running my bike for fun so I can still do the elements of training that I like and not the elements I didn't like Um, But yeah, mainly just missing some of the people that I used to work with because I used to go to the velodrome pretty much every day and you've got such a strong support network there, which, you know, you you build relationships with people that... um you know, you go through so much with them, that it's, it's a shame to walk away from those people, but ultimately, I, I was done with running the bike, riding circles, so it was the right decision to go, but yeah, I, I do miss some of the people.
2: Because as you mentioned there, you didn't really have a sort of conventional start in cycle sport, did you? You weren't a, a bike rider when you were picked for the for, for training, for potential training.
3: Not at all, so when I was 15, I was talent spotted, and at the time, I was vaguely aware of track cycling in the Olympics, I think I'd seen Jason Queerley whizz around the velodrome in Sydney, perhaps on TV, TV, vaguely aware of something like the Tour de France existing but no knowledge at all of cycling history no knowledge that track bikes had no brakes um, com- complete complete novice but I was talent spotted at school basically to get out of a double maths lesson I-, I missed my maths lesson I went up to the school playing field raced around the field on some bikes that British Cycling brought along with them um, was told I could be quite good I did some more testing on a static bike, which was far more scientific rather than just a school playing field. And that's where I really did well. Um, and basically was told I had the raw talent to be a future potential Olympic cyclist. So it was, it was a steep learning curve. I read a lot of other cycling autobiographies to learn a bit about the background of the sport. I, I became definitely a cycling fan quite quickly. I watched the Athens Olympics completely engrossed in that. Um, so yeah, it was, it was probably not the conventional start. i didn't come from a cycling family at all. But it's nice for me to have seen the change in cycling over that time because back then it wasn't such a mainstream sport as it is now so it's nice to have seen that that change.
2: And so much of that of course was 2012 wasn't it your first Olympics on home ground and that turned you know made cycling really mainstream and turned you into superstars.
3: I think that was a huge turning point uh, partly because of the success um, but also like I mean I'm from Surrey so I used to train up Box Hill in Surrey every day to get home and the Olympic road race was there, and that's now become an iconic climb. And it's funny because there's actually tougher climbs in Surrey, but, you know, everyone, people flock to the area to be able to ride up the, the, the climb from the Olympic road race. So, yeah, the London Olympics did wonders for sport in the UK, across, across all sports, definitely, but cycling, because we were so successful as well, uh, it has been amazing to, to see the huge change in participation since then.
2: And how many times a day, on average, do sort of people come up to you and want to talk about the Olympics or talk about your, your career?
3: Yeah, I I still tend to get recognised. Often when I'm on trains, actually. I think when you're on a train, people get time to sort of sit there and look at you. And I do spend a lot of time on trains these days commuting about about the country. So, yeah, I I still do get most days someone come up to me and say that they recognise me and sort of well done and congratulate me. The other day I was on the Tube, actually, completely in the world of my own, not concentrating at all. Someone come up to me and said, well done. And I I said to him, what for? And he was like, for the Olympics. And I was like, oh, sorry, I was completely away with the fairies there. Sorry about that. Uh, But, yeah, no, it is nice that people still are buzzing about the success because that's what it's all about. It's about inspiring people, not just young people, of of all ages. So it is nice that people still talk about it.
2: Joe Rousel-Shand. The Ruler Classic in London once again saw the announcement of the Vox Women Rider of the Year, which this time went to Annemiek van Vleuten of Orica AIS. After her horrific crash in the Olympic road race in Rio, Annemiek turned in some brilliant performances in 2017, including wins in La Course and the World Time Trial Championship, points and mountains jerseys in the Giro, and a strong showing in the Classics. Her reward was picked up by her fellow Dutch woman, the recently retired Iris Slappendel. Iris joined me on the podcast sofa, along with Tiffany Cromwell of Canyon SRAM and Canyon SRAM's DS, Beth Durea. It's been an up-and-down season once again for top-flight women's racing. Some new teams, some excellent competition, but still the sense that more money and more coverage is needed for the sport to properly flourish. So what was there to be optimistic about this year? First Beth, then Tiffany, then Iris.
1: In general, I think that um, being the second year of the Women's World Tour was a great step forward. Um, I think that it definitely, ha- I mean, we could spend hours talking about things that we would like to improve about it, but at least uh, that it's there. It's created a system now that we can move forward with. And I think that the Women's World Tour, the introduction of more races to that to the World Tour this year, I think has been a, a positive so I think this is something to take away from the 2017 so far. Also having the the standalone races such as women's, uh, women's tour stage race, but then being able to introduce an Ardennes classic for women. I think those two aspects of the
0: calendar are definitely highlights I would say. Yeah for me obviously from within the peloton it's been exciting seeing the depth grow like every year um, you know we saw a lot of great battles between top teams you know it wasn't just uh, like obviously last couple of years had Bowles domans have dominated a lot but we've seen you know quite a few other teams step up and we've seen some fantastic battles from a racing side. In terms of, as you say, as Beth was speaking, the growth of the sport and getting more big races. Um, Some of the new age nations too, we're seeing better exposure. Like if we, a lot of people kind of don't see the Australian side, but obviously I'm seeing it firsthand. We had the Women's Tour Down Under, which was aligned a lot with the men's side. We had you know coverage in the newspapers, like front page coverage at the Killarney Evans Road Race. We had primetime TV live coverage into the Women's t- Australian Open Tennis Final. So. These are big, massive steps to see. And then, you know, here in the UK, like, live at Tour of Yorkshire, the Women's Tour of Britain, Prudential. um, So we are seeing that growth and the progress. Like, things are slow, but it's moving in the right direction. And as long as it continues moving forward and we keep pushing boundaries and we keep increasing all aspects of the sport we're going to get to the point where we want to see women's cycling get to. And that's exciting, you know, exciting to be a part of.
2: And Iris is someone who's sort of stepped outside um, you know, day-to-day involvement in the sport. Um, uh, from that perspective, uh, how did you see this year?
4: Well, yeah, it was my first year as a fan of women's cycling. So, yeah, well, I'm watching now from another uh, perspective. And, yeah, you would almost regret, uh, you know, retiring when there's races like Emso Gold Race on the calendar now. But uh, th- at the same time, it's been uh, it's been really amazing to uh, follow women's cycling, and uh, especially, yeah, as Stephanie mentioned, the depth of the field. There's been so many different uh, winners this year in the women's world tour, and you see also uh, younger riders really stepping up and uh, yeah, be be part of the, the finals. And uh, it it's just been really exciting races. So. Um, yeah, it's, uh, it's a good life being a women's cycling fan at the moment.
2: Did you start a bit too early, do you think?
4: <laughs> yeah, maybe I started too early, but I could have also continued. That's not a, that's not a thing, but, you know, there's a time for everything. And, and at the same time, I'm also happy to still be able to do stuff for women's cycling. Being part of the athletes' Commission this year not being a rider I was able to spend much more time actually in this uh, kind of work as a woman
2: on the UCI uh, athletes commission is there a sense there that you're if you know the expression pushing it an open door do you think there's a willingness there to really improve women's cycling or are you struggling inside that organization
4: well I'm not so sure with the new president actually I don't know him and uh, I I can't really say about what I've read I don't know if he really has a clear idea about women's cycling, but I think for sure the UCI sees the potential of women's cycling. And there are people within the UCI, very, they, they really care and, and they really want to grow the, the, the sport. It's just still like cycling in general, a very male-dominated organization. But, you know, at the end, the UCI is, I would say, just a regulator. So... When the future of women's cycling is not depending on the UCI.
2: I had a lot of conversations earlier in the year with uh, women races and uh, w- with teams about La Course, the, uh, the Tour de France, the, the, the Tour de France-related event. A lot of discussion about how it was going to work, whether it was going to work or not. We'll talk about next year in a bit. But how did you think it went this year? It was an experiment. Did it? Did it work?
0: Um, from a rise perspective. There was elements that was good and elements that was not so great. I think definitely having a different stage, you know. Champs-Élysées was always really special because, you know, the iconicness of Champs-Élysées racing in the centre of Paris is beautiful, but at the end of the day, it's a glorified criterium. For us to have a stage to show the true beauty and the strength of the sport, it was fantastic a great battle on a mountaintop. You know, we did. We saw what women slightly truly capable of. Like, it was a great battle all the way up the Col d'Izard. But then there still was quite a short stage, The second element, people were quite confused about it. I don't believe that part worked. And, you know, even so much so before the race, we're in the team meeting. We're like, so as of tomorrow, we don't really know what's happening. Like, there could be 20 people starting in Marseille. There could be five people starting in Marseille. So it seemed like just people were confused. But we're all about trying different ideas, so I'm open to that, sure. And, you know, obviously, the Tour de France organised ASO want to try something different. But then they say, okay, for next year, it's a one-day race. And people are like, oh, that's not progress. But I still think what we have next year is better than what we have of the two days of this year. You know, next year is a true race. It's 120K. It's got some climbs. It's got descents. It's got racing elements. We can truly showcase what women's cycling is so beautiful and what's so fantastic about with that global exposure that we want. There's elements that worked and elements that didn't. And racing on a mountain stage as well, you know. From the fans to having the media there, everyone was... I was sceptical to start with, I'm not going to lie. When I got there at the race, I felt like, OK, there was a lot of positives that came out of it. And you sound reasonably
2: positive about next year as well.
0: Yeah, you know, like, it's such an ongoing discussion, what we want. Everyone's a Tour de France, has races, whatever. But I want races that are fun, exciting, a platform to showcase the sport. If we can have a fantastic one-day race, for me, that's perfect, you know. It's still, you know, it's linked within the biggest sporting event in the world, one of the biggest sporting events in the world, and it's a platform that we can showcase our sport with, a true platform, not just, you know, like a half half effort, like a 60K race, for example, you know. So for me at this stage, yes, where it goes next, that's the next question, but I like one-day races, so I'm happy with <laughs> La course next year.
2: Stefan Wyman uh, said shortly after the announcement was made, I'm not sure whether you, whether you saw it or not, that, you know, actually uh, we should probably stop obsessing about La Corse and the Tour de France and actually concentrate on building up the rest of the calendar and really making sure that that's, that that's uh, worthy of television coverage of, is a proper representation of the sport. Do you think that's a that's a fair point?
1: I mean, for sure, I agree with him that we also need to focus on building up the rest of the women's calendar. But at the same time, you can't deny that La Corse, for all of the the negatives you can point out, at the same time it offers one of the the biggest platforms for exposure for women cycling in the world and y- in terms of the numbers, the reach, the viewers, the fans of it, you cannot deny that and there's no other race on the calendar, unfortunately, that provides that. So you need to try to, to look at both, I think, to try to develop a course where you can utilise all of those figures and numbers and viewers and exposure, whether that's changing the format, and that might be changing it from year to year, or it might be finding a format that works, but also at on the other side, also looking at the, the rest of the calendar. So it can't be both. You cannot you cannot win with such a big opportunity around La Course. You can't just scrap it and say, no, it doesn't work for us. I mean, that would it would make no sense. Um, but at the same time, I mean, in terms of the team and on the calendar, La Course is a highlight, but it, it's not the only race as well. So
2: Beth Durer, Tiffany Cromwell and Iris Slapendall. The world of pro-cycling photography is fiercely competitive and hard to break into. One name that's been appearing quite a bit recently is the Irish photographer Karen Edwards, whose new book, Gods, Rockstars and the Cobbles, is just published.
5: I'm in pro-cycling 18 months now. Um, It started maybe back in 2012 as a hobby taking photographs um, of Irish cycling. Um, just local races. Um, what actually happened was, I had been cycling myself, training to race, and uh, I had got sick. And um, in order to keep in with the cycling, I went and I bought a camera, and uh, took myself out in the mountain and started taking pictures. And I soon discovered that, you know, this is something that I actually wanted to do. Um, I had, i put out a few pictures on social media. And some pro-cycling photographers had got in touch and they said, you know, you've got something a little bit different. Would you, uh, you know, try to go down that line? I had no confidence, so I didn't... I just thought, no, no, I don't want to go down there. Um, so, yeah, that's how it kind of started, yeah.
2: So you had a bit of a cycling background to start with?
5: Um, yes, my uncle was a great rider in Ireland, uh, Mick Cahill. Um, he rode the Ross in Ireland, uh, Ross Talton Um, he was second way back in 1970 I think Um, so as a baby I would travel around with my parents supporting him so the bicycle was always definitely part of my life
2: how have you sort of found it breaking in particularly to to the pro cycling scene has it been welcoming
5: it's been really hard, but um, I suppose initially when I started off, it's it's trying to prove that you're not there kind of messing about. Um, you go in, um, I suppose for me, I wanted to go in and show that I had something a little bit different and uh, prove that I was there to do my work, do the best that I could in promoting cycling. That's uh, what I wanted to do. And uh, to show cycling in the way that I see it, Um, all aspects, not just the race, that there's a whole um, circus arena around cycling.
2: And how would you describe your style? Because you do have a sort of distinct style of photography, don't you?
5: I suppose slightly uh, punchy. Um, I want to... It's it's not perfect, my photography, Um, but I kind of purposely do it like that. I like to make people feel like they're actually at the race, that they're, you know, in my shoes, they're seeing right there in the middle of it. Not just the race, the fans, um, the landscapes, um, the weather, the colours, because I mean, colours change from different countries. Um, I just want to bring the actual public and the fans into the race.
2: You've got this book out. Um, I'm going to try and get the title right. It's Gods, Stars and Cobbles. Yes. Most of the photographs are from the classics. Yes. What is it about the classics that particularly appeals
5: to you? It's just the history and um, the cobbles are amazing. Um, just watching the riders as they race over those cobbles—it's just it's, it's breathtaking. I mean, I do them on the motorbike, and I mean it's bumpy on that, but like to actually race on those cobbles are so unlevel, and oh, it's just—it's amazing. The darkness, the history—I just love everything about it.
2: Karen Edwards. And all that remains is the podcast quiz. Last time we asked you which member of the Aqua Blue Sport Management team won a stage in the 2009 Tour de France. The answer was Nikki Sorensen, and the winner was Graham Bradford. Well, this time, and again for a ruler T-shirt, it's a question about Vox Women Rider of the Year, Annemiek van Vleuten. Annemiek won two stages of the Giro Rosa and took the Points and Mountains jerseys. But where did she finish overall? Anna Meek won two stages of the Jura Rosa and took the points and mountains jerseys. But where did she finish overall? Go to the Ruler website, check out the page for this podcast. Full details of how to enter will be there. Thanks for listening. Catch up next time. <laughs>